0: Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thank you, sponsors. Tops Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, CompC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. Another seven questions. I, it just comes up that way that I group them together when I get a little behind Man accumulate and there's some overlap, but then there's some unusual ones. And I try to respond in the podcast if I think it's something said otherwise I just bounce back to the person or deal with it another way. First question from Game Time talking about progressive proofs as opposed to executive proofs. He's commenting on the episode with Tanner Jones. Uh progressive proofs something totally different and he also collects blank back cards especially before 1980 i agree very tough to find worth the hunt definitely mentions the 77 tops reggie jackson orioles card one of the most famous of uh, the unissued cards never in a pack probably a a proof reggie it's a long story in fact keith olbermann is the foremost uh, keeper of the story i think of that the gametime gallery calls it a unicorn indeed it is i'm not sure i'm gonna do a whole podcast on it but all of those things are, are definitely worth collecting, whether you're a superstar, you know, player collector or just for the novelty of getting blank backs, progressive proofs, and other kinds of unissued tops, especially when they're from the Tops Company, which was pretty much the only game in town in seventy seven and pre eighty. So thanks Game Time Gallery. Another question while I'm sticking with Game Time Gallery, get more of a comment. <laughs> he said the Velveeta boxes, not just the Pittsburgh thing. He grew up in North Carolina and stored most of his cards in Velveeta boxes. That sounds like either you had not very many cards or you had an awful lot of Velveeta eaten in your home. And he still has the cards in him today. If you have the cards in there, Game Time Gallery now, they're in the old boxes, because I think the new Velveeta boxes do not fit cards anymore, like the, the... traditional dilemma of candy bars. They keep the same price, but they shrink the size. So I think those blocks, those chunks are not uh, two and a half by three and a half anymore. I think they're more like Gaudi size. Again, keep the old boxes and thank you for your question. Greg Dobrik, question three about uh, Fernando. That's an episode that got surprising traction. I, I was talking to Victor Roman, senior, and we always talk about rookie cards. And, and then something came up, and I said, well, "Why don't we just do an episode about that?" We did. We had a good time. But Greg Dobrik says, "Well, let's not forget how Susan Sarandon taught Fernando to breathe through his eyelids." But it's really the I think the Nukla character, the the Tim Robbins guy, because uh, Fernando I don't believe was in the movie, but the, she was channeling her inner Fernando. A great popular culture reference uh, to tie in with a movie, which you just started to say. I think it was Bull Durham. And again, great movie, and it actually has a card set It has Susan Sarandon and Kevin Costner and Tim Robbins and others. Question four from Ben Bram, been on the show before. Ben's a thoughtful guy. He's interested in pre-rookies. <laughs> so he mentions that, again, staying with the Fernando Valenzuela, Fernando has no... Minor league. He was on Lodi in '79, and there was a set. He's not in it. I'm surprised at that, although maybe he again, that's a A-level set, but there's a bunch of guys in the set. He's not in it. And then in 1980, he's on San Antonio Dodgers, the minor league affiliate. I think they might be Double A. Led the league in strikeouts, and there's not a set at all. So again, yeah, he's 19 years old, and then frankly, he comes up late in 1980, toward the end of the year, and helps the Dodgers get into the postseason. They didn't make it all the way, but it wasn't Fernando's fault. <laughs> He basically had uh, pitched 17 innings, no earned runs. So zero ERA, won a couple of games, and it was a portent of of things to come because he started off strong the next year, too. Okay, question five from Andrew Bartson. Andrew was bringing up comments about the 98 Tech episode I did, which, again, that was fun for me. I haven't done anything like that, just buying a couple boxes, opening them up. And so he's intrigued, and and he knows that wild card is there's – Perhaps some resurrection of wild card now, and all these companies are looking for different schemes or strategies to engage with collectors, the EPAX things. And so he's mentioning that he's talking about tops, but any of the card companies could do this. He mentions the 2017 Ultra Spider Man product, which had a lot of interesting and elegant parallels. I don't know that you could trade up for them. But the problem with your wild card strategy, putting a lot of base cards out and then letting you uh, trade in 10 for one, 100 for one, for whatever, for a tougher version of the same player. Again, with the Spider-Man example, the the good thing there is that there's some outstanding art in that set. And so to get a better version of the same elegant art is good if you have um, a common card and you have 10 or 100 of that common card to trade it in. Again, I'm not sure what's in it for the card companies. Uh, It's a lot more work after the fact. So this is secondary market, unless they had a handling fee or as you said, allowed uh, ComC C to help with that. Uh, And then mentioning that the common cards, the ones without the stripe, if this was wild card, would go back into circulation. I'm not sure that's what people would want. When wildcard came out, if you got a thousand of a card, you could trade it in for a thousand stripe, which they'd have to have then sitting on the shelf. But were the thousand individual cards put back, I, I don't know that, that they were recirculated. Interesting idea, and let's see what the card companies do, because I think they're all looking for new things. Thanks for your creativity on that. Sixth question from Andrew again, and he's talking about the 94 Tops archive set, which when it came out, I thought that was really interesting. Again, the card companies are really really throwing a lot of things out there. And uh, so much so that his question in this time is that uh, Topps and Upper Deck are all of a sudden working together for this set. They were and they weren't. They uh, tops did their own set, but then they allowed uh, Upper Deck, who had the rights to mantle and... Ted Williams, because if the 54 uh, top set that the archives is doing, the first and last cards are Ted Williams. And Mickey is conspicuous by his absence, although he's in the Sports Illustrated set. Upper Deck had the exclusive rights to trading cards for uh, Mantle and Williams at that time. I'd like to see more cooperation. And then he mentions that the 94 Upper Deck All-Time Heroes, which is where the Mantle and Williams cards were inserted. Andrew, you don't like that set, but maybe those inserts of Mantle and the two Williams were bonus inclusions for, admittedly, a 94 Upper Deck All-Time Heroes set. Not very exciting design, whereas the 54 Topps Archive sets, or the the Archive in 94, I think it'd be cool to get uh, the Williams and the Mantle. Or the Clemente, quote-unquote, pre-rookie after the fact, but they mocked up a 54 and and Harmon Killebrew. That was good. And then finally, the last question is from Jonathan Flemister. He's been on again as well. He's mentioning from Brad Bethune's hobby hiatus episode that Rich and I uh, talked to Brad about, uh, how Brad was pretty overwhelmed that short of that, is the hobby becoming or is it more seasonal for some collectors? Do some collectors collect in season? If they're school teachers, do they go heavier in the summer? If they're uh, basketball fans, do they go heavier in the winter? Uh, I'm not sure. I know all the sports pretty much are seasonal, even golf. It takes a break, even though they, there's some place on the planet where you can play golf year round, just keep moving around. Is there An off-season for card collectors, the off-season of the sport, if you were a a one-sport collector, off-season was uh, previously considered to be kind of the buy opportunity. I don't think that's expressly true anymore. What we've seen is that if you take a month off, maybe not a big deal. If you take a quarter, maybe not a big deal. But a half a year to a year there's significant movement in the hobby in terms of what's in vogue, what peaks, what is no longer trending up. And it's not always just based on what's going on the field, on the court, on the ice. Again, thanks, uh, Jonathan Flemister. Thanks, everybody else, for some good questions. And I'll be back on Monday with a full episode. And again, keep your questions coming, Beckett at gmail.com. So thank you, and and, uh, see you on Monday.